this is the Kingdom of Pinfall, an alternate universe fantasy wrestling fanfiction podcast. My name is Michelle, and I am reading it to you. This is chapter 10. You've made it impressively far. If you're new, this is not a good place to start. Please go back to the beginning. My link tree is in the episode description. I sell art prints, and I have a Patreon if you are interested. And I don't have anything cool to say this week. Um, This is a pretty harmless chapter. There is some violence, but nothing else of note. Chapter 10. Surprises for Everyone. R-Truth somehow completely misses an encounter with Undisputed Era after leaving the company of Champa. He runs all the way back to Charlotte with Champa's one-word answer in his scroll. Charlotte, who's waiting for him outside of town, takes the answer in the scroll and says nothing to him. She reads the scroll expressionlessly. These people aren't very nice. You better watch out, Miss Charlotte, he advises. She laughs for a moment before sighing. I'll be fine. You better get going, though. There's about to be a fight. Tom Champion, he starts to say. Tommaso Champa, she corrects. Tomato Corndog, he says, and she gives up quickly. He has more allies than you thought. Oh? She responds curiously, this fact piquing her interest. There were two extra. She interrupts with a groan. What keeps happening to change things? He shrugs not recognizing her question as rhetorical. He suggests, maybe you're angering the titan of pinfall. Charlotte waves her hand dismissively and says to herself still, what if it hasn't changed and two people aren't his allies? I don't know which two. Shit. She looks at Truth and says, get out of NXT. Gladly, he says enthusiastically. Can I go find Mela now? Yes, that's fine, she answers him clearly thinking about the situation with Champa. Do I get to carry another message to anyone? That's my favorite part. Being messenger of the queen is almost as cool as being the 24-7-7-11 champion. She shakes her head. No, just find your friend Carmella and take her to the New Day or something. You sure? Eyeing him, she says, I'm sure. Are you positive, though? I'm afraid you might be forgetting something. You're real busy. You got an awful lot going on. I think you need an assistant. A sidekick, maybe. Someone like... What am I forgetting, Truth? She asks him, slightly annoyed, interrupting his soliloquy. I don't know. How am I supposed to know? I can't read your mind. Damn. Why are you always on my case? She shoots him a glare and he cowers immediately, saying apologetically, All right, all right. I'll just go find Mela. He starts to dart off back toward Champa's shack, the wrong direction. But Charlotte grabs the back of his cloak and points him south toward Smackdown. When she lets him go, he vanishes in a blur. Truth thinks he has a pretty good handle on the recent events taking place in Pinfall. He's only a little confused, and only about half the time. If he keeps his belt, he gets to meet John Cena. John Cena is his favorite hero the greatest champion Pinfall has ever seen, and the best character in all of the WrestleMania stories, in R-Truth's humble opinion. Sometimes people argue with him, and he doesn't know why. 
John Cena returns whenever there's a WrestleMania, descending from the heavens from the home of the gods to smite the forces of evil alongside the new champions. At least that's how it always happens in the stories, and the queen, Charlotte Flair, told Truth all of the stories were true. She also told him he couldn't lose his belt, no matter what, to run everywhere, avoid towns unless she told him to. He did all that anyway. He doesn't like to think much about magic, sorcery, and that sort of stuff. It freaks him out. People keep saying his belt is magical, but he doesn't think it is. He runs fast because he needs to run fast to protect the 24-7 I-95 3.14-365 belt of power from the forces of evil. He wants to run fast, believes he can run fast, and then he runs fast. Simple. No magic there. Nothing magical about it. Nope. The border of SmackDown and NXT is a river. The Survivor Series River. What a weird-ass name for a river, Truth thinks. Lots of places have weird names in Pinfall. There's a couple of bridges over the river and into SmackDown, but he doesn't like to take bridges. Other people are always crossing the bridges. People like Mojo Rawley, Riddick Moss, Tamina sometimes. He has to avoid them because they want his belt. And he has to keep his belt, because Charlotte said so, because he wants to meet John Cena. At the mouth of Survivor Series is a locker room, a meeting place, in the city of Backlash. Obviously, he needs to avoid all that. Survivor Series forks to the west, and situated at the fork is another city, Performance Center. He needs to avoid that, too. R-Truth sometimes runs so fast, he ends up in places he didn't mean to be. So he slows down, looks around, checking his location. He avoids major roads, and he knows the safe places where his friends are in SmackDown and Raw. But he doesn't have friends in NXT. Nothing seems safe here. It's all gritty and dark. He's not sure how he feels about the NXT heroes, even. He doesn't see anyone. He's in the wilderness. Something is weird about it, though. He can't put his finger on it. He stops completely to ponder it. Don't stop for anything until you get where you're going, Truth. Charlotte's voice chides him in his mind. She's like his mom, but meaner. The trees around him are sparkling and glowing. Everything is sort of glittery as opposed to gritty. Sparkling in pink and white, and shrouded in purple instead of dark. There's a purple mist. It isn't scary. Nothing is menacing here. It's pretty nice and calming. Mesmerizing. It's so different from the other parts of NXT that he isn't sure he's in NXT anymore. R-Truth walks slowly, looking at his surroundings. This place seems to stretch on forever. He doesn't know what this place is. He's never heard of anything like it. And who might you be? A sultry voice says from behind him. Truth whirls around and makes sure his belt is hidden under his cloak by grabbing at the edge through the fabric such that it is apparent that it's under there. He sees a man hovering behind him, a sprite rather, like Alexa. He has glimmering purple dragonfly wings and is wearing sunglasses with three lenses like he has a third eye in the middle of his forehead. He has his arms crossed. I'm R-Truth, R-Truth answers. And what are you doing here, R-Truth? asks the mysterious sparkling forest dweller. Truth thinks this might be one of the times that the truth is not what he should say. He clutches his belt and tells him quickly, I've got a friend who is a sprite. Her name is Alexa Bliss. Do you know her? She's small, blonde, and pink hair, hangs out with a barbarian, Nikki Cross. 
He pauses and then adds, completely changing the subject. You got any snacks? The sprite doesn't move aside from his fluttering wings. Just because I'm a sprite doesn't mean I know all of the other sprites and I don't have snacks. Do I look like I have snacks? Are you a friend? R-Truth decides to ask him point blank. I don't know. Are you? He asks. I don't know. Are you? Truth asks right back. He asked first, after all. The sprite moves a little closer and asks again. Are you? I don't know. Are you? Truth asks, his voice getting a little shrill. The sprite sighs and then comes down to the ground to stand in front of him. He looks him over and then questions. Are you lost, R-Truth? Nah, he says. I know where I'm going, so I'm not lost. I just don't know where I am exactly at this moment, that's all. My sense of direction is uncanny. I have the homing instincts of a swan wearing a compass as a necklace. The stranger is taken aback by this bizarre statement, confused and unable to tell if the man is joking or not. He asks him, so where are you going? Smackdown. I have to find my friend Carmella. I think she's somewhere in Smackdown. That's quite noble. He uncrosses his arms and touches R-Truth's shoulder with his fingertips as he folds his wings and they vanish. A WrestleMania is upon us. Do you believe the legends? I believe in John Cena, Truth nods excitedly. The greatest hero, the greatest champion. Ah, uh, yes, well, I'm the Velveteen Dream. The sprite finally introduces himself. You can call me the Dream. Nice to meet you, Mr. Dream. Our Truth extends his hand for a shake. Velveteen Dream just looks at it and then says no, the Dream. Huh? Never mind. He then shakes Truth's hand, and he doesn't let it go. He holds it and grips it tighter the more Truth attempts to pull away. Truth starts to panic a little. The man has very soft hands, but he does not want to continue holding his hand. He just wanted to shake his hand. Maybe sprites don't do handshakes. Maybe there's a language barrier of some sort. He tells him, hey, uh, Mr. Dream, you ought to let me go. Dream does so then points. Smackdown is that way. You best be moving along now to find your friend Mr. R-Truth, and I suspect I'll see you again on the road to Wrestlemania. I hope you are on the correct side. He nods in agreement, very put off by the too long handshake that turned into hand-holding. He starts to back away from him. Dream's glasses completely hide his eyes, and Truth can't tell if he's looking at him or not. Dream makes a shooing motion with his fingers. Our truth runs. He runs until he is out of the sparkling purple trees and back in normal trees, then he keeps running. He runs until he reaches the river. He walks down the bank until he finds a place suitable to cross, and then he finds himself back in the more familiar realm of Smackdown. Now, to find Carmella. He has no idea where to even start looking. Before he can figure out where to begin, he hears familiar voices. He doesn't slow right away, and instead begins circling them, the circles getting smaller and smaller as he makes sure the people are who he thinks they are. It's heavy machinery in Sonya. Tucker shushes the other two and draws his sword. They stop and all poise themselves for an attack. Truth gets nervous and also looks around as he's running. He darts into their midst and then stops. He asks, Is someone following you? Is someone following me? Hide me, quick! Truth, what are you doing? 
Tucker says to him with a sigh and resheaths his sword. Sonya follows suit, sighs, and puts her daggers away. Otis drops his big bald fists to his sides. I could ask y'all the same thing, Truth comments. Is someone following me? He peeks over Otis's shoulder and looks back in the direction he came from. Is it the man that held my hand in the woods? Uh, Sonya starts to reply to him but stops and only shakes her head. We're going to the ring, Tucker tells him pleasantly enough. We're going to get Roman, the belts, and Mandy. R-Truth asks immediately, Have any of you seen Mella? She might be at the ring or someone there might know where she is, Sonya suggests. Come with us, I guess. The more the merrier. Oh, I don't know about that. There's an awful lot of people at the ring and I have to protect my treasure. He winks at her very conspicuously. We'll keep you safe, buddy, Tucker tells him, and we'll help you look for Carmella. Isn't that right, Otis? Otis has been quiet the whole time, sullen and thoughtful. He lets out a dispassionate, Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, Tucky. Did you even hear what I said? Tucker asks him with concern. Just thinking about my peach, says Otis. Focus, my man. Tucker grabs his shoulder. Do you need potassium? Otis shakes his head and Tucker gazes into his eyes. Your peach probably doesn't even need to be rescued. Carmela needs to be rescued, Truth exclaims. Who has Mela? Sonya squints in his direction and says, Huh? Mela. We're talking about Carmela, Truth says to her, seeming annoyed this time. No, we were talking about Mandy Rose, Tucker tells him pleasantly, and Otis clenches a fist with determination and looks toward the south. They all look at one another for a few seconds before Sonya grabs R-Truth by the elbow and says, Come on, let's keep moving. We need to cover as much ground as we can today. In the middle of the realm of Raw, somewhere outside of Claymore Country, Seth Rollins is giving a sermon to a small group of commoners. Standing to his right is Murphy, his hands clutched politely in front of his crotch and his face expressionless. They're wearing matching long white robes, which are open, exposing their muscular chests, and the two of them are wearing the Raw Men's Tag Team Belts of Power. Behind them are Rezar and Akam, arms crossed, glowering at the people of the village. Raw needs a savior, Seth says to them passionately. Raw needs to be united and led down the path that is right and that is good. We need to make Raw great again and I can help. I am the only one that can help. There are some half-assed cheers, but mostly just confused grunts. Seth goes on, not seeming to notice the apathy of his small audience. Raw can't be led by so-called heroes like Rey Mysterio and Randy Orton. Not even the likes of the supposed Queen Charlotte Flair ranting about WrestleManias. He pauses and assesses his audience. He isn't impressed, and neither are they, but he continues louder this time. There are all these rumors of a WrestleMania, but they are just that, rumors. They're meant to stop Raw from becoming united. This WrestleMania nonsense is intended to divide us, divide and conquer the greatest of the four realms of the Kingdom of Pinfall. Why, Messiah? A peasant questions him meekly. The peasant is wearing a hooded cloak and is hunched forward awkwardly, his back twisted. Why? 
Why? Why? Seth's voice becomes more and more shrill with each repetition of the word. Why do they not want Raw to be united? Because they want Raw for themselves. They want to cause an upheaval, a civil war. But I, he raises his hand to the heavens, I want peace for Raw. I want Raw to be the magical and beautiful land that it once was. And you can do that, Messiah, the cloaked peasant asks. Of course I can do that. I am the Messiah. I'm here to give you the gospel. He looks down at the people, and most seem more engaged now, but it might be because he's yelling, and this other man has gotten involved in the dialogue. Does Randy Orton know you use him in your speeches? The peasant asks, suddenly standing up straight, his back not crooked at all, but he does have a huge gut. That, or he's hiding something under his cloak. Seth's eyes narrow. He stares at the man, trying to see beneath the shadow of his hood. He has a beard. That's all he can make out, and it doesn't narrow down his identity very much. The man begins approaching, and the messiah lowers his arms. The other people start to wander away, thinking his sermon is over. Seth watches, unmoving. The AOP shuffle their feet behind him, and Murphy remains steadfast. Soon, only they remain along with the cloaked stranger. I've been following you, Rollins, the man says, still obscuring his face. He's also altering his voice. His voice is clearly not as deep as he's making it. I've been following you from town to town, listening to you attack all of the champions of Raw. What is this game he's playing, Seth wonders. Could this man be on to him? Could he possibly know his secret? There's no way. Acom and Razor move in closer and flank him as the stranger gets closer. His hood falls and he looks at Seth. Oh, Kevin, Seth says, somewhat relieved. Kevin Owens is mostly innocuous. He isn't sure how his tiny ankles support his huge belly. I'm glad you're here, Kev. He signals to the AOP to back up as he takes a step toward him, not threatened. What are you doing, Seth? Kevin asks him, talking normally now. What am I doing? He asks back sharply. I'm doing what I said. I'm uniting Raw so it can return to its former glory. Are you here to help? Or are you another idiot that's afraid of the truth? While I do want Raw to return to its former glory, he looks Seth up and down, pausing for a moment before going on, I don't think that's what you're really doing. Kevin is not here to join him at all. This is disappointing. Seth frowns. What do you think I'm doing, Kev? Do you believe a WrestleMania is nigh? Are you one of those particularly special idiots? I don't care about any WrestleMania. I just want to stop you, Kevin answers. Stop me? Seth asks him, his voice becoming very high in his surprise. He points to himself and says, I'm the good guy here, Kev. I want everyone to stop fighting over these stupid belts. I just want everyone to get along and stop believing in stupid myths. He pats the belt. I don't believe that. Kevin takes a step closer to him. They stare into one another's eyes for several seconds before Kevin lunges toward Seth's face with his arms to hit him with a stunner. Seth smiles as Kevin impacts nothing, finding only air, and then he and Murphy vanish entirely. 
Kevin stumbles forward, startled and confused. Acom and Razar are on him immediately. An elbow to his back from Razar knocks him onto his face. Murphy and Seth are standing on the opposite side of the village square. Murphy smirks and Seth laughs. He pats the belt again as they observe the AOP stomping and kicking Kevin where their illusions had stood. miles away, several days travel at the southernmost part of the Kingdom of Pinfall. In the castle of the King of the Ring, Mandy shrieks confusedly at Dolph. What are you talking about this was part of the plan? What plan? Your plan! He yells back with fairly equal confusion and ducks a fireball from her wand. My plan? I don't have a plan. If I did have a plan, then you kidnapping me and taking me through a portal would not have been it. I'm really confused, he states plainly and rubs his head. Is that why you keep trying to escape? The two of them are standing in an elaborate guest room in one of the castle's towers. There is a large canopied bed, shelves of books, a desk, a wardrobe, all of the fixings of a very nice castle guest room. Although it is now in disarray, Mandy has been trying to escape since her arrival, which has caused Dolph significant dismay. She blinks and looks at him, finally deciding to talk to him about what in the world is going on. She expected to be thrown in the dungeon or taken to King Corbin or something other than being led to a well-furnished guest room. Okay, Mandy lowers her voice and looks at Ziggler blocking the doorway. She also lowers her wand that she's been using to blast Dolph with fire and has scorched all of the curtains as well as a tapestry in the hall. If you weren't kidnapping me... Why in the world did you put a knife to my throat? It was part of the plan, he answers, frustrated, and putting a great deal of emphasis on the word plan. It had to look like a kidnapping. Because it was the plan, she asks, and he nods. She goes on, so whose plan was this? I thought it was your plan, so you can see how I'm really confused about why you've been trying to kill me and escape all night and most of today. Oh. She pauses and looks around at the mess she made in the room. There's a shattered bottle of wine, food slung all over the walls, books are strewn about, and of course the charred curtains. So, who, how, she's so puzzled she can't figure out how to ask what exactly she means. We were in Suplex City, and we were told to intercept you all the next day on your way into Raw. I needed to fake kidnap you and get the belts, come back here using a portal, and wait. Dolph crosses his arms, still visibly confused and a little nervous that she's going to try to burn him alive again. Mandy is also very confused. Wait for what? And who told you this? Who did these instructions come from? Charlotte or... Charlotte? No! The blonde man is appalled. Why would Charlotte have anything to do with this? What are you talking about? It was Sonya. She's supposed to be coming back to fake rescue you and lure the Smackdown heroes into our trap. Mandy is so stunned that her wand falls from her hand and she just stares at Ziggler, mouth agape. heroes attempt to regroup as best they can following the attack and Johnny's betrayal. 
Champa comes to and insists they leave for the war game Citadel immediately, sticking to their original plan. Keith does his best to mend the mess that is Dijak's leg, but the injury is beyond even Keith's holy healing abilities. Dijakovic limps and groans as they move from the scene of destruction. Keith is helping him walk, and he says, Just leave me. I'm slowing you all down. I won't leave you, Keith grumbles, not able to believe he even made the suggestion. If we could figure out how to use this belt magic, Keith could make himself bigger and carry all of us, bro, Matt says, dragging his belt behind him. She knows how to use the belts, Champa tells them. He is using his staff to steady himself. He's very shaky as he moves and is not much faster than Dominic, but he moves with endless determination. Charlotte Flair, he clarifies. She is who we're meeting at the Citadel. Pete and Matt couldn't find the mysterious archer that had been shooting at her at the request of Adam Cole. Whoever it was is still out there somewhere in the trees. Pete keeps his guard up, his eyes constantly darting and looking for movement. He carries his belt in his teeth, gnawing at it, not listening to the banter around him, concerned only for the archer. You've gotta leave me, Dijak insists again to Keith after a few moments. I'm not leaving you with Damien Priest out there somewhere and whoever Cole's archer is, Keith argues. The tall man ignores this and says, We should be coming up on a road. Leave me there and I'll catch a ride with someone going into town. I'll catch up with you after I find a healer. Looking at him concerned, Keith speaks solemnly. If you're sure and you promise to catch back up as soon as you can. Dijakovic nods. Yes, I promise. They do come across a road a while later. Keith helps Dijakovic prop himself up against a rock and extend his wounded leg with a wince. He reassures Keith, I'm sure someone will come by soon. Leave me a wineskin so I can pass the time. Everyone bids farewell to him and Keith lingers for a time. Everyone bids farewell to him and Keith lingers for a while, feeling very ambivalent about this whole decision. No one else argues with Dominic. Champa seemed very anxious to keep moving and agreed with the abandonment of Dijakovic, but didn't speak it aloud. He thought only of Johnny and Adam. He wasn't sure which one he wanted to kill more. Keith looks back over his shoulder at Dominic several times until he is completely out of view. Back at what was once Champa's cabin, a small figure kicks at the smoldering rubble of his shack. Liv finds the body of Austin Theory and begins humming a whimsical tune as she looks it over. As she looks down at him, his eyes open. He begins pulling himself from the debris as she moves along to the body of Cameron Grimes. She giggles as Cameron also rises from where he had fallen. He fixes his hat and looks to her with cloudy white eyes awaiting instructions. She looks at Roderick for a little longer than she looked at the other two. She puts her hands on her hips, unsure what exactly to do with him because he was so damaged by Keith Lee's heavenly strike. Eh, she shrugs, and he also opens his eyes. A few moments later, she is trailed by these three men, the severely bloodied Cameron with his barely attached arms, and the two burnt forms of Austin and Roderick. She watches amusedly as Fish and O'Reilly struggle from the earth. 
covered in dirt and with empty, cloudy, dead eyes like the other three, and also like the Iconics. Once everyone is standing, she says to them, All right, boys, let's go to the Citadel. Liv and her shambling collection of dead men begin moving in the same direction Champa and his party had gone. She follows their trail almost exactly, such that she comes upon Dominic propped on the rock by the road, sipping from the wineskin a while later. Dijak looks up at her and asks, Who are you supposed to be? Sister Abigail, she answers and stares at his leg. He doesn't see the men she has with her. His back is to them, and he's not interested in turning around. He remains facing the road and glumly drinking. What happened to your leg? Damien Priest, he tells her. Who fixed you up? she asks. He eyes her with some suspicion. You're asking an awful lot of questions. He doesn't answer her and instead asks, are you going to town? No, she tells him. I can finish fixing your leg up, though. I'm a healer. She indicates that she is wearing a tattered habit. Don't I look like a healer? Dominic looks at her and says, sort of, yeah. She pulls a knife from some hidden internal pocket of her habit, and he shifts around nervously, moving a bit farther away from her. She cocks her head to the side and cuts the palm of her left hand while looking at him. Did you think I was going to stab you or something, Dijakovic? Blood magic, he gasps, and drops the wineskin, which begins to leak out onto the soil and soak the side of his leg. He looks afraid and asks, how did you know my name? Hush, she says, putting a blood-covered finger to her lips and smearing her own blood on her chin, as Dominic's destroyed leg begins to glow and knit itself back together, he calms down. The process takes just a few seconds, and he removes the dirty bandages to reveal a fixed knee with a fair bit of scarring, but he can bend it normally, and it doesn't hurt at all anymore. I thought blood magic was... She shushes him again, and she says, Go catch up with your friends. Dominic starts to get up. He is appreciative, but remains suspicious. She has healed his leg, but she knows too much. She knows things she shouldn't know. Like most everyone in Pinfall, he also has a healthy fear of blood magic, a long-forbidden sorcery. He starts to thank her, and when he opens his mouth, she plunges her cut, bloody hand into it and grabs tightly onto his jaw. He drops to his knees and grabs her small wrist with his hands, but she is so incredibly strong he cannot break her grip on his face. He shakes his head and feels her hot blood in his mouth and on his lips. Her nails are digging under his tongue, and he wants to bite her but can't. He's frozen in fear as she looks down at him. He's entranced, confused, and in pain being held by this much smaller woman that is somehow ten times stronger than he is. Her own lips, smeared with blood, making her look more clownish, twist into a sinister smile. She leans down and whispers in his ear as he trembles before her. Everything has a cost, Dominic Dijakovic. You are in my debt, and you will not be able to resist when I come to collect what I am owed. She pauses and laughs. The North American belt of power should have been yours, not Keith Lee's, by the way. Liv, Sister Abigail, releases him, and he falls down into the puddle of wine. 
He backs up away from her and fumbles for his satchel and his swords. She watches him as he gets to his feet, falling down twice more in his panic, his eyes wide and her blood on his face. He runs across the road and to the north, not looking back. She looks at her resurrected allies and says to them, Change of plans. Let's go find this Damien Priest character. I like that a man will try to sever a man's leg at the knee. He's got potential. And that's it. Tune in next Tuesday for Chapter 11, The Great Unliberation of Sammy Zane. That's a fun one. All Sammy chapters are fun ones. Um, this was kind of a, a filler-ish chapter. I needed to catch everyone up on a couple things. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter if you want. Uh, my Twitter name is holy underscore text. So... That is it. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back. And thank you, thank you, thank you.